Hey guys, welcome back to Merlison, a bi-weekly podcast about BBC's Merlin, where we discuss the show, the characters, the ships, and the fandom. I'm Miss Snowfox. And I'm Momotastic. And this week we have another episode review for you. We like to disperse them in between other awesome stuff that we're doing. And it's just me and Momo today for you guys. Nobody <laughs> else. It's been a while. Hopefully we won't put you to sleep. <laughs> and um, yeah, so today we're doing a review of season one, episode seven, The Gates of Avalon. Uh, but before we get into all that, we have some lovely admin stuff to go through. So yeah, here are some news. The Bottom Arthur Fest is returning. This year it will be held from the 11th of June until the 18th of June. All Arthur pairings are welcome as long as Arthur is the bottom. And here's a reminder that Merlin Stills is a prompt-based icon-making challenge that runs every week on LifeJournal. In the same vein, Camelot Drabble offers weekly prompts and is for all writers and artists. So go forth and make icons, write fix, and draw things. All right, and that's that for news. So let's have another talk back again by Real Life Sucks Ass, who is really great about leaving tag commentary on their reblogs. And I think Rox has something to say about it. So this is uh, a comment that they left on the episode that we recorded of the episode review of A Remedy to Cure All Ills. Thank you for sitting through it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you uh, you had some commentary about Edwin, which I found interesting. First of all, um, how you said, oh, I didn't realize that people dislike Edwin. Um, I have no idea what the fandom consensus on Edwin is because I feel like people genuinely forget he's around <laughs> in the show. And I think that what the reason why I have an issue with him is just because I think it's wrong for a grown man that's not Gaius's age to wear a robe. I just... <laughs> I, he's definitely not wearing any underwear under there. And it's really creeping me out. But... Um, no, I think I was, uh, I don't think he's in a lot of fandom media. Like I said, I'm still so shocked that he's such a important character in the student prints, which is, I mean, I, I get that's like an old fic now. So it, like it was nearer the airing of that episode than we are right now. So probably no one would even write about Edwin now, but yeah, I'm just, uh, even that he's in that fic as Merlin's boyfriend, I'm really surprised because it's like, why? <laughs> But um, yeah, I just find him creepy as hell. That's all. Um, and you also said, oh, like, what was even Edwin's plan after he killed Uther? And yeah, I think a lot of the villains in Merlin I have the same beef with, including Morgana, because like I've said in Morgana's character arc, what was her plan after she killed Uther? Because Arthur's still there. So <laughs> what's the, like, what is she going to do? Like, what? But more, more to the point, what's Morgoza's plan? Because, like, before she finds out that Morgana's heir to the throne, what was she going to do? <laughs> like, she can't, like, who was she going to put on the throne if not Uther and then Arthur? It would just be anarchy. And then what? I don't know. So, yeah, Edwin is also prone to the kill first, make plans later <laughs> aspect of the show. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's all I have to say about that. I don't know if Momo has any comments to make. No, not really. I I agree with you and also with real life success. So awesome, awesome. 
Great, so let's talk about the gates of Avalon. I thought you said the gaze of Avalon. <laughs> I mean, I mean, <laughs> it's not wrong. <laughs> Everyone is gay. You know, if we want to, like, I apologize in advance because this is borderline derogatory language, but, like, there's a point to be made for the gaze of Avalon when it's, like, populated with fairies. So... Um, anyway, uh, Rox, how about you tell us what the episode is actually about? Okay. Uh, so as usual, we are giving an episode summary from the Merlin Wiki. Um, and sorry, the reason why I'm laughing is because I remember how we had to make one up last time because (laughs) nobody cared. (laughs) I'm sorry, I will, I will not think about that for future episodes i'll try anyway um okay morgana has a dream that arthur is murdered by a beautiful girl she warns him of it but arthur's chivalry lands him in trouble when he jumps to the rescue of a damsel in distress sophia and her elderly father ulfric back in camelot sophia uses more than just her feminine charms to take control of arthur's heart this strange behavior doesn't go unnoticed by merlin but can he work out who the mysterious pair are and what they want with Arthur? But more importantly, can he save Arthur in time? Dun, dun, dun. It's always a cliffhanger with these. <laughs> yeah, I need to jump in here because I rewatched that episode earlier today in preparation for our podcast. And it is definitely not Merlin who notices that Arthur is behaving strangely. Okay, um... I was going to say this later, but I can just as well say it now. It is actually Gaius who realizes this. Because first, Gaius gets warned by Morgana that Morgana saw Sophia murdering Arthur. So Gaius is immediately wary of Sophia because he realizes what Morgana's dreams are. And then Merlin tells him that Arthur went off for the day to spend it with Sophia rather than do his duties which Gaius finds weird because that's not like Arthur to shirk his duties for a girl he literally just met. Like, Gaius in this scene also behaves like it would be weird for Arthur to let Merlin take the blame, but that is really not uncharacteristic. That is something that Arthur really has no problem with doing. But the whole shirking your duties thing, that's not something Gaius, like, knows Arthur to be doing like that's not something Arthur usually does so Gaius is actually the one who is suspicious the entire time and he is the one who uh, takes off Merlin and is like don't you think that's a little bit weird like especially after the second time that Arthur goes off to spend his day with Sophia uh, and then you know Merlin follows Ulfric, uh to the lake and everything but like it is not Merlin who is the observant one in this episode <laughs> It is Gaius. So I'm sorry, Merlin Wiki, but your summary is wrong. <laughs> this is not the first time that the Merlin Wiki summary has been incorrect. I can't remember when the other one was. Was it Mark of Nimue? Something was wrong in the summary there as well. But we went, hang on, that's not right. <laughs> like that. So yeah, or maybe Valiant. I think it's always about noticing. I think everyone figures that Merlin notices everything, but yeah. not Merlin always. is not that. Like I love him, I truly do. But Merlin is not that smart a lot of the time. Like he needs other people to tell him things. All right. Um, a quick, quick 
quick bit of statistics for this episode. It first aired on the 1st of November in 2008. There are three female characters who have lines. It's uh, Morgana, of course, and uh, Gwen, who in originally I forgot to list in this statistic because I think she has like two sentences to say. Uh, so I forgot she even spoke. And then, of course, you have one supporting cast who is Sophia. And then, of course, again, five male characters who get to say things, and all of them get to say a lot, actually. It's Arthur, Merlin, Gaius, Uther, and Ulfric. And, naturally, the monster or enemy of the week are Ulfric and Sophia, and also the Sheed Elder. In a way, like, indirectly. <laughs> and Merlin kills two people who are, of course, Ulfric and Sophia. Um, I mean, you could argue they're not really people because they used to be fair folk, but the point of the episode is that they are, you know, mortal now and don't like it. And I looked up a little bit on, well, Wikipedia <laughs> about the about the Sheed, and I found out that they are most commonly found in Irish and Scottish mythology, which is sort of interesting because like Merlin is more mostly Welsh and English mythology like Merlin the show and the Arthurian legends are mostly English and Welsh mythology I think not so much Irish and Scottish but of course you know they are part of Britain now at least Northern Ireland and Scotland are part of Britain now so of course let's use their mythology as well and they are said to be living underground in fairy mounds, which is where the name comes from, because the Irish call them Eoshi, which means people of the mounds, or Eishid, which also means like people who live in mounds. Sheed is the part that means mound, like a small hill made of dirt. Um... Either they live in, in fairy mounds, like I said, or in an invisible world that coexists with the world of humans. Hmm. I wonder why that sounds familiar. In Gaelic folklore, um, it is common to appease uh, the, the fairies with offerings and to not insult or anger them because otherwise they will make your life difficult. And what I find interesting is that they are rarely called by name and instead they are usually called like the good neighbors or the fair folk or even just the folk. And I wonder why are they treated like Voldemort? I mean, is there... I, I couldn't find a reasoning behind this. It's just it's just It's fact. probably a superstitious thing. Like if like if it's... If, um, if fairies are, you know, not to be trifled with, it's probably a thing of, you know, oh... Don't say the name because they might come and steal your food, you know. Yeah, like like Voldemort or Bloody Mary or. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, and they're often described as both beautiful but also hideous, which also works for how they did it in Merlin because they look pretty while they're dancing on the water and just you know gently glowing in the in the evening light, but once you see them up close, you see their sharp teeth and their not so pretty faces. And of course, they can be really mean. And this other world from where they live can only be seen at specific times, like dusk or dawn, which is why Ulfric probably goes there when it's, you know, getting dark. 
or at special times during the year like Samhain, Beltane or Midsummer, things like that. Like that's when the veil between the two worlds is thinnest and that's when you can see the fair folk. And there are actually many types of of sheet, but Merlin only elaborates like Merlin doesn't elaborate on the different types of sheet. It just has this one type and like makes it out like there's only one kind of fair folk when actually there are like many. But that's okay because they never really go into it that much. Okay, so let's actually talk about about the episode. I already said a little bit about how Gaius is the one to notice things. Maybe you want to say something about something else or the same thing. Uh, yeah. Uh, it. Yeah. I mean, I actually think this is a pretty a pretty solid episode. I think it's really cool. Um, I'll leave the majority of that for the like side because there's actually a lot I like about this episode. Most of it is Mirtha, so I'll just like. Really, that's interesting because I didn't see much Mirtha in this episode at all. Oh, this th- like this this episode is always like heavily used when I'm like vidding them. Like, there's a lot of material to work with here and it's just like see i thought see i thought this episode was more like armor heavy because you have like morgana worrying over arthur so much and of course the the whole thing with sophia where sophia accuses morgana of being jealous and morgana not really knowing what to say to that because yeah maybe she is a little bit but also she's genuinely worried about his life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, th- this episode, like, textually, the way the writers want you to take it, like, it is Armour's episode for sure, and it makes me so happy because <laughs> I love them. But um, I think, like, if you're a Mirtha shipper, like, I don't think you can walk out of this episode unsatisfied, like, even the ending. But like I said, I'm going to go into that because it's so over the top. <laughs> I love it. Um, So I'll just say a couple of things that I kind of, dislike i just feel like really the majority of the stuff i don't like isn't even plot related like i think it's really solid it's just like little things like katie is still really not very good at acting at this point (laughs) she's just like i had a dream it was difficult to describe and i was just like oh honey please <laughs> just like especially when she's looking concerned and stuff and when she's with Gaius or I'm just, oh god it's painful but not as bad as I cannot remember her name but the girl that's playing Sophia I just cannot stand her performance in this episode I cannot stand her as a villain I just don't buy it because like she looks ridiculous like she's so tiny and she's so innocent looking and young and i'm like because we rarely get to see her do magic until the end like obviously like when she's drowning him i'm just like i don't buy you as a villain like i buy ulfric because he you know i i don't know the actor but i imagine that they got someone that has quite a lot of acting experience to do it so i feel that he's menacing and he's lived all these years but with her, I like especially when she's having that standoff with Katie, I'm just like, you're not scary. Like I don't feel like you're frightening me and you talk weird and See, I, I would just... I would disagree. I mean, um I think that especially because she looks so young and innocent and like 
doll-like, actually. It really works because that is the whole point that, you know, you wouldn't suspect her, suspect her of being, like, having nefarious plans for Arthur. And that's part of why her plan works, because Arthur is drawn to her even before she uses any magic on him you know she he's already attracted to her because she does look so cute and sweet and pretty you know and then the entire thing with Morgana on the stairs I think you know she's playing this really like oh you're jealous that's cute and you know it's it's like a bit like I mean I've never seen mean girls but if I like that would be my expectations of what it should be like you know, if this were a high school AU, that that would totally, like, I feel like this totally works, this whole, um, oh, it's so adorable how you're jealous of him. And, like, she, she totally doesn't, like, let on that she knows what Morgana means and that, you know, Morgana is, like, threatening her. And honestly, it looks like, I mean, that's not really down to Katie's, ability to act like I th I think that in that scene especially um regardless of what you think of Katie's acting or not it just it works because Morgana like is made to feel ridiculous and like she has no thunder in that in that scene and that's what what was trying like what was supposed to be achieved that Sophia is just like so suave and and self-assured and and bitchy, honestly, that Morgana just literally has nothing to threaten her with. I think though, when I watch that scene, because I because I tried to um I like uh, uh skim through the episode the other day, and it like even though that's how it's written, because I think Katie, even though she's not as strong in these earlier seasons acting wise, um she's her her presence on screen is so much stronger than this other girl's I, I again i just i can't remember the actress's name i'm um, sure it will come I to me it up. yeah it is um holiday granger that's the one holiday granger um and like and you know she's obviously and even the fact that she's placed like higher on the stairs and like she's looking down on sophia like she i i always watch that scene with like oh Morgana just slap her down a peg or two just kick her down the stairs Jesus like she doesn't like you know because it it looks like it's a pit bull trying to bark up to a to a greyhound you know because Morgana is so fierce like with her with her eyes and like her demeanor and she's such a powerful like character like up until now like with her presence and like how she's respected and everything that I just don't I don't buy it in the sense that Sophia has anything over her like she's kind of taunting her and stuff but I don't know I always feel like Morgana could do some serious damage to her if she tried and with the way that they're playing that scene I don't feel like Sophia could really do much to her like obviously magically she could but like if they were like to get into a like obviously they're not going to physically fight but if they were going to I'd be like oh come on you really think that you stand a chance so I feel like maybe it's just that they were trying to play both those angles it was like oh you've got this powerful like she creature and then you she's also trying to play this like yeah like play Arthur and Morgana against each other and it just doesn't work because she's just not as commanding as Morgana in her presence and it's just really um 
I don't know. I, it, it doesn't quite work for me, but I do see what you're saying that like, obviously she does like, it's a very well-written scene in the sense that she knows what Morgana really means, but she's not actually like, you know, giving her that. And she's saying something else and trying to rile her up and everything. But I don't know. I watch it and I'm like, if Morgana just snapped and just like, just slapped her around, she wouldn't, she wouldn't like have a chance. Like she just, like she would just end her obviously she doesn't have her powers yet so she can't do that but i wanted her to can't stand sophia oh i really don't like her <laughs> you so... and the rest of the fandom i feel like nobody likes sophia i don't think that she's got many redeeming qualities to be fair <laughs> she's a murderer and yeah just um but the uh I've got one, two other small things that I wanted to mention with the kind of, not even dislike, but confusion. I don't get why Uther is so against this match and why he's willing to, like, you know, make such a fuss about it and execute Sophia and Ulrich because, like, she's a lady in, as, like, you know, as far as we know, in the, in the, illusion she's created she's a very high ranking and the fact that Arthur comes to Uther and says that we're going to get married I find it a bit strange that Uther would be so against it like it really really surprised me like watching it back because I'm like this is all you've ever wanted for him was to get married to a powerful rich woman and then have babies like why not but I guess I mean, maybe it's um, that he doesn't want an alliance. Like, I I think that he would rather Arthur would marry someone who's actually, like, a princess. Yeah, true. And um, because, you know, he tries to uh, get her, get him with uh, Elena. And I, I suppose he even would have approved of uh, Vivian if that had been a real but she's thing. a lady as well that's why i think maybe because he he wasn't too thrilled that arthur went after her either was he and she was lady vivian not princess vivian so maybe you're right maybe it's a yeah but her father was the king i don't know why she was always called lady vivian but her father was the king like that like the title made no sense we'll get to that when we talk about that but like it's just that uh, that literally makes no sense why why she was called Lady Vivian when her father is the king. Maybe she's illegitimate. Like Ooh. Morgana, you mean? Okay, that would make sense. Um, but like, I think that maybe that is the reason. Also, they um, they said that they were they, that they have family in uh, Caerleon, and maybe Uther didn't want. An alliance necessarily with that country like you know especially if he had like maybe already had plans at that point that i mean this is all assumption because we know the writers didn't think that far ahead but like um <laughs> looking at the entirety of canon this is what we could infer uh that uther was already you know planning an alliance uh with elena yeah. And, and yeah, right. So, <laughs> and that's why he's against it. It can't be that the writers messed up it's the so continuity awful. of this one single episode. No, it's not possible. They never make mistakes, <laughs> especially not continuity mistakes. No. Um, 
then I've got uh, where right Morgana's line uh, when when her and Uther are walking down the corridor talking, which I love that scene, and I'll get to it in the like section. But the the end quote just really gets to me because it makes no sense. She says, "I've seen girls like this before. They string them along and then drop them." And I've just put, um, "No." Not in medieval England, you haven't, because no one dates like that. So stop. <laughs> it's like, this doesn't happen in medieval England. No one strings someone along and then drops them, especially not a prince and a lady. You get match match made by your parents, and you're re- you should rarely be allowed to spend time alone together outside of supervision. So don't talk to me in these modern terms with stringing along and dropping because that's not how it happens honestly even if you disregard the inaccuracy uh that you just pointed out like where would she have seen that like i don't think i mean as we discussed in a previous episode i forgot which one but we discussed before that morgana has basically no friends um outside of Gwen, Arthur, and Merlin. <laughs> like, when, when, or where would she have seen? I mean, you could argue that she has observed this at court, but I feel like that even if that were a thing that had happened at the time in history, I don't think that would have happened at court. Or publicly. <laughs> or publicly. Which, of course, now reminds me of the fake three tasks where Arthur is the arbiter for suitable suitors' disputes, where he basically prevents exactly that kind of things from happening. Yeah, and then I've just got one one more thing. It's like not even a plot thing. It's just so st- like the shows from from what I can remember. This is the show's first attempt at sexual humor and it's just so awkward it's when like well and arthur in in their chambers and uh he's saying where he's gonna put her like in the castle and um and uh or what i think merlin makes a suggestion like oh what about next door and then um and then he just pauses and looks at Arthur and he's like, shut up, Merlin. He's like, I didn't say anything. He's like, you didn't have to. My intentions towards Sophia are entire, entirely honorable. And then Merlin's like, she's very beautiful. And then he, and he's like, she is. And Merlin's like, but your intentions are honorable. Like you said, the eye goes, yes, yes, of course. Then what's the problem with her staying next door? There isn't one. And it's just like, oh my God, this show is so made for kids. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> like, just, can you just say things, please? <laughs> it's really awkward. Also, the fact that, like, we basically had it confirmed that, like, like, Arthur might have dishonorable intentions towards women in Camelot, I think, can put a lid on the he's inexperienced trope. Because... Like that, that would never have happened for a man of his age. He would have probably had children by now. Why various women? <laughs> so it's like, you know, just look well, up you know, that that like... just brings back the entire thing of Arch Arthur being uh, like sterile, like not being able to make babies because of how he was born. But that's yeah, like it's. it's so awkward like this first attempt at them trying to talk about sex on the show it's like oh just either do it or don't please don't do it like this see i like that scene um because it 
uh, gives us a bit of a glimpse into Arthur's characterization. Like, first of all, what you just said, that Arthur is probably not as inexperienced as Phenom often likes to paint him in in canon fix, but also, um, like, f first he realizes that his intentions towards Sophia are honorable, so then he is like, actually, I should put her comfort over my convenience, and then he says, like, put her on the other side of the castle because it's warmer and she'll be more comfortable. So, you know, he actually has this little moment of, hmm, you know, I should do the right thing and the right thing would be for her to stay somewhere else, even if then she'd be further away from me. And then, because he doesn't actually want to do that, but he recognizes that it would be the right thing to do and Arthur is very much about doing the right thing, then he lets Merlin talk him into letting Sophia stay next door, which is also like... Uh, like characterizing of Arthur where he's like well actually you know I want her to be next door and I want you to talk me into it so please Merlin do um, that's just something that, that I like about this scene like Arthur's little turnabout and like in two minutes he changes his mind three times and um, because he's like well I like that but also I want to do the right thing but also I want her to stay close and now you've given me a reason why she can so you know it's all about just making the right excuses yeah um, what I don't like that much about the episode is um, well it's not really dislike it's more like a thing I wish had happened or like a thing that I wish had ex had been explored at some point in the show is uh, Morgana is so close to telling Uther why she mistrusts Sophia like she's really close to telling Uther that she had a dream about Sophia murdering Arthur before Sophia ever came to Camelot and I, in that moment, I really wanted her to tell Uther because I really wanted to see his reaction. Like I, like after rewatching um, beginning of the end, uh, right after I watched Gates of Avalon, I'm pretty sure that Uther probably would have thrown her in the dungeon. But in that moment, like when we only have canon up to Gates of Avalon. I don't know how he would have he reacted, and I really wanted to find out, and we never did. Yeah, I love that scene so much. I just, it's so rare for us to see a scene between them when they're not at each other's throats. Like, I mean, we'll get into this in the beginning of the end episode, but the, the deterioration of their relationship doesn't really start until that point, but even up till now, they're so often bickering <laughs> and I love the scenes where they talk about Arthur because they seem like such like frustrated parents. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can see why they had so many shippers back in the day because they are such a mum and dad to Arthur. It's unbelievable. Um, and yeah, I just love how he's so like, he genuinely is invested in the conversation and he's like, are you sure there's nothing else? Are you okay? And I'm like, Oh no! Stop <laughs> it! Like you guys really loved each other. <laughs> so yeah, I I love that, and I yeah I I wonder if like you know I mean he was caught on a good day. There's 
he didn't know there was any magical stuff happening. It's the first time he doesn't suspect sorcery. So, you know, maybe he would have, yeah, maybe he would have listened. But, you know, we don't know. And it's... Yeah, we just don't know. All right, something else I didn't like is um, something I mentioned earlier already. Like, Arthur's willingness to let Merlin take the blame even after the enchantment was list, uh, lifted. Just, yeah, that's just uh, that's just prime author behavior, honestly. And it just confirms for me that, like, Gaius's disbelief over Arthur's readiness to let Merlin take the blame is so fake. <laughs> Because Arthur would 100% do it if it served him enchantment or not. Like, that is just, that's just what Arthur does. Like, he even, he even, like, he tries to soften the blow by being like, well, I made the decision to go on a hunting trip after the whole thing with Sophia. But Merlin is the one who forgot to tell you, so, you know, he's the one who's to blame. And I'm just like, no, Arthur, listen, you fucked up. You fucked up a lot. And okay, maybe you can't remember because you were enchanted, but you fucked up a lot. Like, this is not Marlin should not have to should not have to bear the consequences of you fucking up this much. No. So, <laughs> that's just And then hand in hand with that goes like these gross ableist jokes they're making about Merlin's intelligence like through the entire episode but especially in that scene when like um everyone is getting in on it like Uther is like do you have some kind of mental affliction and then uh guys is like well I'm looking into it and I'm just like are you for real like seriously this is what you do to the boy who is basically like your son now <laughs> I'm I'm just I'm really not impressed with that at all. No. I mean, in any kind of defense, I think from a modern standing, like we're like, yeah, they shouldn't have put that kind of thing in the show. Although I think the the early to mid two thousands is such a or sorry, like kind of the the two thousand and eight kind of era when shows were airing is such a strange time because we feel like it's so near but even by like standards of queer representation and stuff it was just non-existent and stuff like that so it's it actually is quite further away than I think we remember it and I'm not surprised that they had jokes like that in there but if you're kind of looking at it from the point of view of the characters like like textually it's really like not the worst thing they could have called him he's like that you know they they thought at the time that like I mean, no, not maybe not then, but even like in Victorian times, they thought that hysteria was a real disease that women suffered with, and it was just like, no, we're tired with you ignoring us. Like, so you know, probably forgetting things was like, you know, the the, the Lord telling you that this person was, you know, not particular. You know, they thought that medicine was was witchcraft. It's like imagine what they would think about paracetamol nowadays. You know, sorcery. So I'm not surprised, but yeah, it's it's a shame that it's kind of you know from like a modern standpoint, it's not really. But you know, I mean, I guess if you were Uther and you had this kid who, let's be honest with you, hasn't really shown any kind of um, competence of any kind up until this point, like you'd probably think, are you okay? Like, I but don't know. Uther has like Uther doesn't even notice Merlin that 
much. Like, let's let's think. He noticed Merlin in the first episode where Merlin saved Arthur's life. He noticed Merlin in the uh, what was Mark of Nimue? Is it the third or no? Uh, sorry, Poison Chalice. That's the fourth episode. He noticed him in the fourth episode where Merlin saved Arthur's life, and then Arthur went off to try to save Merlin's. But that's another thing. And Valiant as well when he arrests him. Or tries to have him arrested yeah. for yeah for sorcery, yeah. which then later gets proven right. Like at first, Arthur is angry that you know that Arthur would trust his servant, but it later turns out that the servant was right, trying to save Arthur's life. <laughs> and then you have uh, you have a bit of nothing, and now you have Gates of Avalon, in which Merlin behaves like this, and I just. This is the the first time that Merlin is acting out of character, which is probably the only, like in in Uther's eyes, like Merlin isn't is appearing before him as something other than the savior who jumps in at the last second, and like that's like the only explanation I can I can accept for Uther like not understanding what's going on with Merlin and worrying about like genuinely worrying about his health because he's like. What happened to the boy who saved my son's life like three times in a row? What is what is going on now? <laughs> Should I be worried about my son? So that's literally the only thing I can accept as an explanation for for this. <laughs> it makes like how, how many times has Uther even said Merlin's name throughout the course of this show? Has he ever? <laughs> yeah, he has a few times. Yeah, but when? Like... <laughs> Um. Uh, <laughs> See, you don't even know. He must, he must have. Come on, that's not possible. Uh, someone who's listening to this podcast, please tell us if you know when Uther has said Merlin's name, or if he even ever has. Because oh that'd be that'd be so cool if he never did. No, that, I think that, he might have done as a ghost has... in. Yeah. Uh, what's what's the episode? But like fifth season, or fourth season? Fifth, yeah. Is it fifth? Yeah, yeah. Queen uh, Gwen is already queen. The t- the the death song of Uther Pendragon. Yeah, that's fifth yeah. season. Yeah, fifth season. So I that think he said it as it goes, but that's it really. Count. <laughs> oh my god, that can't be. I mean, yeah. Someone someone needs to correct us there yeah. because that can't be right. Someone do I, a rewatch I, and do a tally of. Like that's that's probably a good thing for a drinking game. <laughs> Uther says Merlin's name. Take we a shot. Never, we would never get drunk. <laughs> no. We'd sober up in between. Well, shots. you get drunk when you add the rule. Arthur says Merlin's name. <laughs> and two shots when Arthur shouts Merlin's name. <laughs> in what capacity? <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. Just shouting. <laughs> Any kind of shouting. Uh, okay, we are quite far in for my first inappropriate joke, so it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Oh, God. Is there anything else that you didn't appreciate or like about the episode? No, not really. That was, like, the most... the, the main things. Well, seeing as we were just talking about Mirtha, shall we move on to the Mirtha moments of the week? If, if you like, that's... because I, I'm interested in hearing what they are from your point of view because I don't see this as a Mirtha episode at all. Like 
I see this as an anti-Martha episode, honestly, so that'll be interesting <laughs> for me to hear. <laughs> uh, well, I've got them in chronological order. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, please. well, because I basically was just making notes as I watched. I wasn't thinking about like or dislike, so my thoughts are a bit muddled, But I, so I'll just talk about everything. Um, So their first scene is that like is the first scene of the episode and i love it because like just how we get the close-up of arthur and then the wide shot of Merlin just crashing into the back of it which is also those rabbits are literally props and it's so obvious that they're not real and they're they don't move like they're just they have like they've not just been killed and collected and i love how klutzy Merlin is also in the behind the scenes of that episode, Colin does this thing where he's got like he's talking about the rabbits and he's like, this one was a particularly vicious rabbit uh, tried to attack me. And he's like trying to like pretend like it's going for him. And I'm like, oh, bless you. It's so sweet. Um, their banter here is just I love it so much how Arthur's like, um, hunting requires speed stealth and an agile mind and man is just like so you're able to get by in two out of three then and it's just like beautiful and they're so comfortable with each other by now um and i love that my my kind of thing that i noticed about this episode was this is the first episode where i think merlin really starts to like fall for arthur like he's like if we're if we're looking at it from like a like mirtha point of view like he is this is where he really is starting to like fall in love with him i think and it's really weird because we've had like one two three and four which were pretty mirtha heavy and then five and six we have like nothing really like they have so few interactions and then we have this episode where they're all of a sudden like way more domestic in my opinion than they were in episodes prior perhaps maybe that scene in remedy where like they're pacing and they're worried about morgana but it's not really about them but here we have an episode with them in arthur's chambers and merlin's just changing the sheets and arthur's leaning against the thing and doing nothing to help <laughs> and just like and they just look like such a married couple and like it's just so wonderful they're just so casual like just having a conversation um the fact that arthur's doing that thing where he's like oh please honey do this for me and he's like like the eyes on him are just like outrageous and i'm like put those away there are children watching this show it's like and how they have that moment where they lock eyes for literally like seven seconds or something which i always use in my videos because it just looks like they're on a date seriously and how Merlin's like go on you don't want to be late and arthur gives like that punch to the arm and then as he's walking away Merlin's like oh and i'm like oh my god like it's so beautiful and he's just like so willing to do stuff for him all of a sudden and i just feel like this is honestly where he starts to turn into like a pile of mush when it comes to arthur i think this is his this is his downfall but arthur is not as like i mean he does care about merlin obviously we know that but you know he's not you know he's more interested in sophia in this episode and i think like it's really interesting because we've talked about how the poison chalice kind of came out of nowhere with the whole, like, I will sacrifice my entire existence for you. <laughs> like just out of left field. It's beautiful, but it's very, very soon. And how much cooler would it have been if instead of 
all of that like sacrificing stuff going on in the first few episodes especially at the end of the dragon's call which we've talked about before what if this this episode had been the first time that merlin had saved arthur's life like with the lake scene at the end because it's already so dramatic (laughs) and so over the top i'm thinking like it would have actually lived up to the drama of it if this had been the first time that merlin had saved after uh, saved arthur's life like i think that would have been so wonderful especially since like he's so soft with him in this episode and so like crushing like ah they're so crushing on each other and um so yeah it's just really lovely then there's they've got their second Ep- uh, scene where Arthur's trying to get him to do stuff and Merlin uh, and he's like oh please I need to like I want to go see her again and Merlin's like oh I can't lie like I start sweating and oh oh no sorry I think I think that this is still the first one maybe it's not I can't remember um and he goes my brain stops working and Arthur's just like so no change there then like they're just so bantery and they're not like fighting or arguing but then you do have that like moment later on when Arthur's like under the control of Sophia and you know he's like I'm your friend and he says no Merlin you're my servant and it really looks like it stings him and I think that that just like shows how much further they've already gotten in their relationship that Merlin like he feels comfortable to like call him a friend to his face and it genuinely hurts him when Arthur's just like no (laughs) and he I don't think he calls him a friend not I don't I don't think he does for years still, actually. I don't think we get... Well, Arthur said, um, like, when he asks Merlin to cover for him the first time, he yeah. said, you'd be a friend for life. Okay, yeah, fair enough. And fair that's enough. what... that Like, I feel like that is part of the motivation of why Merlin does it. And then when Arthur, like, rejects him so harshly towards the end, like, that's not what Merlin signed up for. That's not what Arthur said, like, two days ago. Like... You see the heartbreak in Merlin's in Merlin's face in that moment when Arthur tells him, "You're my servant," you know. So, and he's all like, "You don't know what you're doing," and like he's trying to hold back tears. And I'm like, "Oh, baby, um, it's just so precious." And like, yeah, the, like my my biggest takeaway from this, even though we do have the big epic saving of Arthur at the end, which is just always a beautiful visual, but my thing is the little moments of how they're just so married in this episode. Like they, they just become married. Like the second scene they have in his chambers, I think, yeah. So this is where I got confused, sorry. So Merlin's complaining about how like, his experience in the stocks went, as if he thought it was going to go pleasantly. And he's like, they were throwing potatoes, it was only meant to be rotten fruit and Arthur's like, trying not to laugh and he's just like i'm not sure there are any hard and fast rules and he's just like trying not to upset Merlin even more but he's like this is actually quite funny and it just makes me laugh how he's just smirking it's really sweet and then um obviously you've got you know when merlin's blasted back into the wall by uh by the magic from the staff and then uh when guys comes to find him it's one of my favorite scenes ever it's so sweet like he as soon as guys gets unconscious i mean he just looks adorable and like a little rumpled like heap on the floor anyway and then guys gets him conscious and merlin like the, the, the first thing he says is where's arthur and that kind of where's arthur kind of voice and it's so sweet and then uh Gaius is like you can barely stand and as he's trying to get up he's like what's that buzzing noise and it's just so adorable and then Gaius is like 
you can't go anywhere. You can't go anywhere. And Merlin says, I'll be fine. He needs me. And he's like, literally can't even stand up. And he's like, no, I need to go. And he's like hovering, hovering. And then he's like, I'm fine. And Gaia says, has the buzzing stopped? And he says, yes. He goes, liar. And he's just like, I've got to go. And then like how he goes the wrong way. And Gaia's like, Merlin, it's this way. It's like, just testing. And it's just such an adorable scene. And he's like, oh, I just love how much he's willing to do for Arthur in this episode. And obviously, Arthur won't be willing to do that much for him yet. But, you know, we get to the moment of truth and then Labyrinth of Gedref where he like dies for him. And it's really lovely. But I just love that this is the the start of like the real kind of Merthyr that we know um, for the rest of the seasons. And obviously the whole, you know, him running to the lake and getting lost and tripping and like nearly being like too late. And I'm not like it still gets me every time when like he goes under the water and it's all still and then it goes silent and then he like comes up and he's got Arthur in his arms and I'm just like every time it's just iconic I love that moment so much and yeah I don't know I'm really surprised that you didn't get much Mirtha vibes from this episode I've always considered this a Mirtha episode when I've been like thinking about them in my head I don't know it's probably because Melon is so supportive of Arthur going after Sophia that even the small Martha moments that are there just fade into the background because there's just so much of the straits going on yeah I suppose I don't know and then also like like, yeah it's it's the Arthur goes after Sophia and Merlin is supportive of that but also the uh, Morgana is concerned about Arthur and they have their little moments so it's just like it's basically those two things and then that don't leave much room in my mind for Mercer but like I mean I'm a shipper I know how it works and I know I can definitely see all the things that you just mentioned it's just that you know just watching the episode like if I wanted some to convince someone of this pairing of Mercer as a pairing I would not show them this episode definitely (laughs) not Yeah, I think like maybe it's because when I'm thinking of them in chronological order, I'm thinking, you know, how much goodness we got in like, you know, one and two, maybe not so much through like three was more of like a Merwin episode. But then you've got like, you know, four, which is just Mirtha heavy. And yeah, five and six is just a big drought. And then, you know, if you count, you know, they've got, uh, you know, if you count the first scene, which is, you know, I mean, the, they do have some dialogue. You've got uh, one, two, three uh four uh five if you count him saving him in the lake which is quite a big moment and then six they've uh, he's got a scene with him and guys at the end where they have a funny moment compared to the one or two barely there dialogue scenes we had in five and six it's probably that's why i think of it because it's just such an abundance of scenes with them and little moments background stuff or like just little things where they're being really like like bouncing off each other really well I just I don't know I've always enjoyed it I I actually rarely watch this the whole way through because I cannot stand the scenes with Sophia and Alfric on their own so I just always skip to all of their moments because I'm like oh look he's just like like changing the sheets and Arthur's there like being a non-supportive husband (laughs) like just like not doing anything to help and Merlin's just like complaining and it's so so beautiful (laughs) and then he's gonna die so it's fine it's great it's great um <laughs> he's gonna die it's great it's great it's like you know it's not like i think about it every day it's all right um uh 
a couple of tiny other things. I love that we see Merlin's reaction to the she for the first time and how it's probably, the, I think it's the first time he sees a magical creature that he actually isn't afraid of. And it's just so lovely. And he's like, oh, and he's all like in awe of it and everything. Yeah, more fool him for not being afraid of them, though. Because... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he didn't know any better, you know. <laughs> you should be afraid of the sheet. Um, and the first time that we have a proper uh, discussion about Morgana's powers, I think that's so cool. I think it's Sophia that brings them up first, and then obviously we have Guys and Merlin talking about how they obviously have to keep it a secret. But it, the first time we ever hear the word powers is after Morgana and Sophia's like bitch off kind of thing. And she goes to Ulfric and she's like, oh, she's scared of her powers, but that won't keep her quiet for long. And I'm like, I think that's the first time we we tell anyone Morgana might have some powers. Like, I think it's really cool. And it, like I said, I think the way that they gave the information across to the audience about Morgana in season one was done so well. And it was really like dripped in really slowly throughout and then obviously the next one after this is the beginning of the end which i still think they should have been flipped but that's fine like whatever um but yeah i just really love the way that they did it and how uh yeah although there's a scene at the end when morgana goes to get her draft and gaius says to her remember every night just before you go to sleep and even when you watch the commentary for this episode, the cast and everyone watching this episode went, yeah, what else am I going to do with a sleeping draft? Like, when else am I going to take it? <laughs> I can't remember who says it. I can't remember who actually is on the commentary for this one. But they're like, uh, yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, great instructions. What else am I going to do with a sleeping draft? Drink it just as I wake up in the morning. <laughs> and it's just like, really? Why did you need to give her those instructions? <laughs> It's just fantastic, some of the lines that we get in this show. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's actually everything. I mean, I mean, there's actually quite a lot of really cool stuff in this episode. I think it's a really, really good one to watch. Much better than the one that came before it. Yeah, definitely. What are you appreciative of? I already, I think I, I already covered the things that I like. That it's, uh, you know, I mean, there wasn't that much, but like... <laughs> Yeah, I really like this episode. I think it's really cool, and there's a lot of really cool stuff for Morgana to do. Like, there's a lot about Gaius in this episode, but I don't really want to go into that too much because we're gonna, like, literally talk about Uther and Gaius in two week, uh, in two weeks. So I want to save it for that, honestly. But maybe one thing is that, uh, like, how Gaius behaves towards Morgana in this episode with, like, you know, trying to soothe her and trying to reassure her and, like, downplaying what she's seen. At the same time, he's very aware of, you know, what she is and what she can do and how, you know, she, um, how she sees the future in her dreams. And that is what, you know makes him suspicious of Sophia after that and why he's so why it's so easy for him to see that Arthur is acting out of character on top of like him actually noticing that Arthur acts out of character. Um but at the same time he's the one who warns Morgana against telling Uther about it, but he doesn't tell her why she shouldn't tell him about it. But Morgana then later figures it out herself. Like Morgana is not stupid. Morgana realizes that, you know, Having dreams that sometimes comes true come true uh 
might sound like magic to someone <laughs> that we all know and usually call king. <laughs> oh, so, you know, Morgana is, is aware of, of the dangers. So I like that, you know, that we do get, I like that we do get a little bit more about guys and that there's a little bit more characterization to guys and, um, it doesn't necessarily endear Gaius more to me. <laughs> but I like that there is more substance uh, to him in this one episode. And also a little bit more substance to to Morgana in this episode. There's a lot going on in this episode, actually. There's, there's Gaius characterization. There's Arthur characterization. There's Merlin characterization and Morgana characterization. So a lot of stuff happening. And also some world building with the... With the fair folk. And how they might be interested in the human world. Because, you know, the soul of a prince that is apparently worth a lot. Apparently. Apparently. I mean, I guess back then it would have been pretty important. These days it probably would have been the soul of Beyonce. Probably. Yeah. Probably. So, you know, it's all relative. It's all relative. (laughs) Definitely. Um, yeah, I I think that we've covered everything that we want to cover. Yeah. So that leaves us with a new character analysis episode in two weeks in which we are going to talk about both Uther and Gaius together because I feel like A, you can't really discuss one without the other. At least you can't really discuss Gaius without Uther. So might as well throw them into one episode and we're also going to have two brand new guests again in case this episode was too boring for our listeners we're gonna bring back some guests and yeah that's that's really it that's all we have to say about the gates of avalon for the time being the gaze of Avalon. The gaze of Avalon. Gay. <laughs> That's basically all I see when I see this episode. Arthur giving Merlin the bedroom eyes and I'm like, gay. It's just <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So thank you as ever for listening to us go on about a show that we love, even though we criticize it a lot. <laughs> and we will hopefully talk to you in two weeks i'm momotastic and i'm miss snowfox bye bye